Hello and welcome to the Serverless Transformation Podcast, a podcast dedicated to all things serverless. In this week's episode, we have my interview with Eric Johnson, the Senior Developer Advocate at AWS. So today we're joined by Eric Johnson, a Senior Developer Advocate for Serverless at AWS. Hey Eric, how are you? I am great, Ben. How are you? Yeah, not doing too badly. Weird times, but glad we're still getting content out. Correct, correct, yeah. So I mentioned you're a senior developer advocate for serverless at AWS. Uh, I guess some people are wondering what that looks like and what a typical day involves. Could you talk a bit about that? (laughs) Yeah, when you find a typical day, you can let me know, but I'll I'll tell you what I do. (laughs) Yeah, so a developer advocate. uh, So really our role is is for the developers. I mean, that's that's really ours. We, We... we are in place to help developers understand and do serverless better and understand you know the best practices bring awareness of what's available how to use those um, how to put them together so we and we use we, we kind of call it a one to many role we 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 talk to a lot of you know we're the developers advocates to the company and we're advocates to the developers for the company so it's a two way road that makes so, sense. And I know you, you're very involved in getting people using serverless, but I also noticed you and the other developer advocates, whenever anyone has an issue or something that could maybe be improved, you're, you're straight away getting that back to the product team, which I think is key for the services to improve. Yeah. You know, I meet with product teams uh, every, every week, uh, multiple product teams uh, where we come back and, and we'll tell them, look, you know, customers love this, but this is, this has got a sharp edge on it. This is hard to use or, or it would be great. You know, I get a lot of requests of, you know, it'd be great if we could do this and this, you know, one of the things that if you, if you know anything about uh, Amazon at all or AWS is 90% of our roadmap is based on what, what customers are asking for, what would make customers lives easier and help them get their applications out faster, better, more secure, all those things. Sure. And it shows in the quality of the services. Um, so going back to the other way around in terms of getting people to adopt serverless, I've, I often associate you with the serverless for everyone hashtag, which I, I think last time I met yeah. you was on your t-shirts, but yes. um, yeah. What are the current barriers you're seeing? Cause I know you work a lot to get people using serverless. I know not everyone is and for various reasons, but why, what are the barriers and is it as widespread as it could be, do you think? Uh, no, you know, so so let's answer that question first. No, I, I don't think it'll ever be as widespread as it could be. And that doesn't mean that it's not going to spread. I just think until, I mean, I mean, I guess I would say it this way, until everybody's using serverless, it's not where it should be. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it's, um, I think there, there's the adoption is, it's not... There's some, you know, all right. So let's, there's two. There's two phases. Of this there's there's the internal. There's the company phase. There's the you know awareness. Hey, we didn't know serverless existed, which that's obviously lessening. You know, serverless is a pretty pretty big name out there, and 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 people are understanding it and getting that idea right now. It's it's an internal struggle because there's not a know-how. It's like any other technology or new technology. And, and paradigm or, or serverless is a pretty good paradigm shift, right? And you know, I mean, you're you're a serverless expert, serverless hero. Uh, it's it is it's more than just us. Oh, it's a different language, right? Just it's the same syntax, just you know, different language. It's it's not. It's a different way of thinking. It's a. I don't have to worry about putting together an Apache server. I don't have to worry about dealing with nginx proxies. I don't have to worry about you know piping off to some different things. I just worry about code, right? And so. There, I think some companies look at that and go, ah, I don't know. That's, that's too new. Is it, is, you know, it, it's, is it something we can adopt? 
Um, so, yeah, so, so I think, you know, for adoption there. Now, from a technical standpoint, you know, we get the question of, you know, what, what workloads work on serverless, what don't, or, or what do not. <laughs> My mm-hmm. watering of the English language here. What don't work? So, uh, but, <laughs> but uh, you know, folks ask me that, you know, some of the things that I look at, you know, one of the things with, with Lambda, we have a limit of a 15-minute runtime, right? Yeah. And so that's one of the things we see a lot of pushback. Well, you know, I've got a runtime that's, you know, I've got, I need a synchronous run of 15.2 seconds. You know what I mean? And uh, it's going to go over the 15 minutes. Um, You know, the first thing I'll say to that person, and and there there are use cases. Look, there's, there's a run. It has to be synchronous. I can't get any shorter. We've done all we can do. I get it. Right. Mm -hmm. But, a lot of times, uh, you know, my question to them is, is does it, you know, does it have to be synchronous, number one? And do, does it have to be 15 minutes long? Is, is, can that job be broken up into smaller parts, right? So, uh, and, and I think I'm wandering on the question a little bit here, but that's, that's one of the things we see is people not being aware of the paradigm of asynchronous versus synchronous processing and, and, and breaking those processes down into tasks. You know, we've seen folks that are taking uh, a great example um, is a company that was doing, uh, doing uh, conversion of video files. Right. And so if I want to convert a video file, I'm, I'm going to have a huge video file. It's, it's, you know, many, many gigs and I'm going to process it and it takes, you know, 30 minutes to process. But what if I break that video into very small chunks, spread it across 30 lambdas at a minute each, and then stitch it back together uh, at the end? Boom, I've just cut my, my time, and, and I, I can't even do that math, 1 30th. Of you know, plus maybe some stitching time. So let's say let's say half at you know at best. Uh, and so so it's all about how you look at, at using serverless and how you look at at uh, you know. Um, building architecture, building applications in general. And it's people seeing what's possible. That video example is an amazing one. Um, A client recently that we worked with had a requirement to generate these huge PDFs for some regulatory reason. Uh, These PDFs were thousands of pages and we were, you know, they they were, they they weren't getting to the 15 minute mark, but it wasn't a very responsive user experience to generate them. So we split it up. We, we had different Lambda functions generating PDFs, putting them into S3, and then one Lambda function at the end of sort of a step function workflow, stitching them back together. Um, and their, their developers had never seen something like this. But once we'd shown them that, a few months later when there was an image processing task, they had the instinct to find an inventive way to split it down and stitch it back together. So I think it's definitely seeing more of those examples and, and people seeing more of what's possible really would help seeing where you might think you can't adopt it, but actually you can get a better user experience. Absolutely. And, and if you think about like the story you just explained, even if I wasn't going serverless, that's something I should be looking at, right? I mean, that's just good architecture, understanding users don't want to sit and wait. Mm-hmm. And so, so, you know, speed and the ability to, I mean, processes, you know, the, the, if I can get a hold of more processing power and really breaking it across, you know, it's all about uh, parallelism, right? It's all about mm-hmm. being able to do many things at one time. Um, and I guess it's not all about that, but that's a huge part of it. Yeah, definitely. And as we're seeing people manage to do this parallel uh, processing adoption and sort of thinking in a more distributed way, it then comes all the advantages of serverless, you know, scale up, scale down. So yeah, it, it's really a compelling 
compelling story and a compelling sort of journey you can go on. I guess outside of the, you know, can we adopt it? Can we not adopt it? I think for people who want to adopt it, there are still some barriers. Have you met with many people who are like, you know, we want to do service, we want to do this, but we don't know where to start. Is that still something that you're seeing? Yeah, you know, I think it's, um, you know, we talk to, yeah, where do I start is, is a really common question, right? Uh, and, and, and I think that the thing is, it's, it's a, we want to adopt it, but we just, we don't get it. We don't, we don't understand the, if, if I don't have a, you know, a, a load balancer, if I don't have a, you know, if I'm not managing a, a web server, I don't, I don't know what to do. This idea of just code is very, uh, very tough. So it's, it's, it's really this awareness thing. Um, and, and so a lot of times we'll sit down and, you know, we've got and shameless plug here, but we have, we have some great workshops, James Bezik. I, I think you've interviewed him as well. Um, yes. A great developer advocate that I work with. He's written a, a workshop called uh, called uh, Innovator Island, and that really watch. If you've never done serverless, I encourage you. It's free. You can find it on GitHub. I encourage you to go go grab it and do it. And it really walks you through this idea of taking the application, breaking it down into its very core components. Here's what I'm trying to do, and here's the bare minimum of what it's going to take. And by the end of it, you have a full – it's really funny. You have a full uh, theme park management system that that helps you understand. I've used all the as- – not every single because you know we're obviously adding more and more, but I've used many of the aspects of serverless to build this out, and the entire thing is you know pay as you go. Uh, that kind of thing. So, so yeah, it's a, I didn't mean to turn that into a shameless plug, but that really is something that that we talk about is you know where do I get started? And so you know that's why why uh, as developer advocates we're we're constantly putting out content uh, at a at a from a one hundred where do I get started to a four hundred? Okay, I know how to do that. What's the next? What's the next level? You know? Yeah, and it's a similar experience that we have. So we often work with clients, you know, to help them build a new product in serverless or to help you know. A, company, a larger company adopts serverless. And we do that through hands-on delivery with them, training, measuring the skills, you know, all the sort of standard education pieces. But one of the things is they just get very paralyzed about, you know, what observability provider do I use? Or yes. what infrastructure as code do I use? And the big lesson I have for them is, you're going to use this. You're going to see if it works for this. It might work for this microservice. You might have another microservice in the future. And you might use something different. And you might then evaluate what works best for your team. But you're not so tied to, you know, you have to use this tool across the whole company. Yes, consistency is good, but there's still the space for experimentation. And I think even more so with serverless, it would be ridiculous to say like, you know, we're going to do this service in .NET, this service in Django, this service in Java. That'd be a, you know, a ridiculous way to structure things. But when you say, you know, we're going to use service framework for this, we're going to use SAM for this. At the end of the day, it's still an AWS. It's still, you know, the same underlying services, but you can experiment with what works for your team. Well, I think that's a huge, huge point to make too. I, I absolutely agree with you. Is is the that didn't work? You know, in, in you know, mm-hmm. in the old days, in legacy, you know, I've purchased a machine, I've per, or probably multiple machines, I've provisioned them, I've patched them, and if you were me, I got it all wrong, and I had to provision them and patch them again. <laughs> I mean, so, uh, and then I've built out my code and I've tested it and then I found this isn't the right. And, and I've actually worked for this company. I won't go deep into it, but you know, we had a full architecture and, and I, I didn't do it. I was brought in later. Uh, and the architecture they were doing, they had spent months building out as, as a proof of concept. And then I was hired as, as an architect. And this was before 
serverless. Uh, you know, this is this is back uh, quite a few years in, in the first thing I said because they they said, well, "What do you think of our architecture?" I said, "It's it's not good. It's it's really inefficient. It's unscalable, uh, and and it's it's complex." And in so what happens is proof of concept that they voiced a lot of money, a lot of months. Uh, on didn't work. Whereas serverless, I can have that proof of concept up in in hours. You know, if you're a good developer, you know, uh, you, you know, if you know your code, maybe days if you're Eric Johnson, and and but you know, you have this proof of concept up, and if it doesn't work, eh, you scrapped it. It cost me two three bucks tops. You know, sure. uh, well, not not even that. That's two three bucks. If I was pounding it hard, it was probably free with the free tier. Yeah. And it's that, that you can create that culture of experimentation, which I think is one of the big advantages of serverless. That's right. I and that's, know, innovation, um, that's where innovation, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but that's where innovation yeah. comes from. When I'm not paralyzed by what's this going to cost us, how long is this going to take us, when, I'm, when I have this freedom to go, does this work? Nah, it doesn't. How about this? Oh, that works. That's where innovation comes in. And that cuts right across the technical decisions, but also the product decisions. You can spin Absolutely. out new features, test them. Absolutely, yeah. It, it creates a really different cycle of developments. Um, so being a complete hypocrite and saying you shouldn't, you know, be too tied to initial decisions, I'd want to talk a bit about what infrastructure is code, uh, oh, people are yeah. using. So there's only one, there's only one, Ben. I thought you might say that. So, <laughs> might. so how should people go about choosing their infrastructure as code framework? I feel like you it, might have a slight bias. No, it's not a bias. It's, it's called, no, I'm just kidding. Um, you know, I, <laughs> yeah, we, so I'll, I, I'll tell you this, this, Kind of an anecdote here. I, uh, it was actually Alex Debris and I, and Alex Debris worked, worked, he doesn't anymore, but he was with Alex Debris does the, the, uh, DynamoDB book now, but he, he worked for Go Serverless for quite a while and, uh, and, uh, great guy, great company. And he and I were talking and we were, we were at a dinner one time. We were sitting across from a gentleman and, and we're asking, he, he was building a, a service application and he was asking us some questions. And so I asked, and I gave, you know, Alex, a cheeky grin. Did you hear me use cheeky grin there? That was pretty cool. I'm not English. I can't pull that off, but there you go. <laughs> I gave him my cheeky grin and I said, Hey, uh, and I asked the guy, what, what, what framework are you using? And he said, Oh, I don't, I roll my own. And I just hung my head and I looked at Alex and he just hung his head too. And, and the moral of the story on that is, is, you know, while yes, I'm very biased and I'm going to get into that in just a minute, use a framework. Do, you know, that's, that's the, that's the bottom line. When you come out of this, use a framework and there are some great ones out there. Go serverless begin. Uh, you know, the, you know, obviously the one I'm going to talk about, Sam, uh, excuse me, I bit my tongue saying Sam, Sam. Uh, and it, you know, the, when you're deciding on your framework, choose which one works for you. What has the features you're looking for? What, you know, what does that? And, and yeah, we can do some verses, things like that, but end of the day, Save yourself the headache. Don't roll your own scripts. Uh, you know, when I first, you know, I've been doing serverless since the day, you know, Lambda was announced. And I remember writing my own scripts and writing my own dirty deploys and writing my own, you know, all those kinds of things. And, and boy, I wouldn't go back uh, to save my life. So all that being said, everybody should use Sam. Have a good day. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yes, I, I am a fan of Sam. Sam, if you're not familiar with it, is the serverless application model, and it comes in two parts. It's the it's the it's the templating part, and then it's the CLI. Mm-hmm. And be- with with those two together, it allows you to quickly prototype, you know, serverless um, 
applications and then you know local development, local debugging, different things like that. And under the hood, it's generating CloudFormation, right? It is, yeah. At the end of the day, and that's yeah, we, we do what's called a transform, and so so it is literally actually cloud formation you're doing in CM templates, but shortened versions of them, right? So with for a Lambda function, where in cloud formation it may take me 30 lines, that's probably an exaggeration, probably 20 lines. I can build a Lambda function about seven lines. And that's one of the longer ones. Best practices built in as well. Exactly. Was yeah, that's exactly right with best practices. A a Dynamo DB table, a best practice Dynamo DB table is two lines of code. It's crazy. So yeah, yeah. And it's now in general availability, right? It is. I'm glad you said that. That's right. Uh, it went in in GA uh, earlier. This uh, it's been about a month now. Uh, and and now, now let me clarify because I can't tell you how people. I I thought Sam was already GA. Sam Transform has been in GA for for well over a year, probably almost two years. And that's that's the that's the template part of it. But it's the Sam CLI that is now GA. We get a lot of uh, folks using Sam. I have a podcast. Uh, no, I don't. That's a lie. I have a stream that I do every Thursday called Sessions with Sam, and where folks will and we talk about how to do templates, mostly the templating, some about some about the CLI. But we have we have a good uh, viewership on that. Um, you know, and and then the follow up. You know, we have a lot. We, you know, I've had thousands of folks watching the show, so I think folks are trying to figure it out. But I think you know, they're using that to help figure out serverless um, as well. But yeah, I, I think we have good adoption. It's definitely growing. Yeah, I'm definitely seeing. You know, our larger clients, our more enterprise style clients, are definitely bringing it up more. And in the past, they didn't. If I asked them what a serverless framework was, a serverless, you know, infrastructure as code solution was, they probably wouldn't know. But now they're coming to me and saying, you know, shall I use this? Shall I use this? Shall I use SAM? So yeah, I'm definitely seeing the name getting out there. And I think people are definitely trialing it out in different contexts. Yes, that's right. It's me clapping. Good. Yeah. So, um, and and I know in these sessions with Sam, you're you're giving quite hands-on training and people are really enjoying those. Um, and I know actually in your in your episode yesterday, you actually gave a shout out to uh, one of my open source projects, SLS DevTools. I, I did, yes. Yeah. Uh, SLS so, DevTools. I'm, I'm going to talk about it for a sec. That's all right. Yeah, sure. Um, I, yeah, I, I love the SLS DevTools. Uh, it was interesting. I didn't get to show it. I think I was explaining to you this earlier. So I didn't get to show it yesterday because I was using my Cloud9 instance uh, mm. for my for my. Uh, for my demonstration, I use Cloud Nine because I have a huge whopping machine to to develop on. It's great, uh, um, but I do have it on my local machine when I'm using. Uh, I have the SLS Dev Tools on my local machine when I'm using like uh, you know my my VS Code and stuff like that. And yeah, it pretty much I've, I'm a I love my screen real estate, so I have lots of screens, and so I have a screen that when I'm developing, pretty much that just sits over there, and it shows me. You know, I get my alerts if that worked or if that didn't. Uh, I, I love that it has some of the regional stuff uh, involved. Um, so yeah, it's it's a the main thing I use it for is the logging part of it. Hey, what's coming back when I'm shooting that? It can it it can constantly monitor my logs, uh, and then you know obviously get some efficiency uh, observability out of it. It's great. Awesome. Well, it was very kind of you to give an introduction to it. Yeah, I was, you mentioning, so. <laughs> I was mentioning it in passing to say you know we saw a pain point with how we were developing. And we built that out. I was wondering what other pain points, maybe not pain points, but sharp edges do you think there are in the serverless development experience? And, you know, maybe what tools do you think will grow in the future? Or what do you think maybe, you know, there's a gap yeah. for in that market? Yeah. I, I think that I think the pain points right now, some of the sharp edges is is the debugging, is the local development. 
Um, and, and one thing I want to explain, uh, there's, there's, there's a battle going, not battles, not the right word. People are taking sides. It's a battle. No, it's, it's, there's this, this conversation going on around where do I develop? And, and what I mean by that is, is, or where do I debug? What I mean by that is that there's one camp that says emulate as much locally as you can. Right, so we've 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 seen uh, we've seen things, you know, emulating S3 or emulating uh, API Gateway, emulating DynamoDB, you know, all kinds of different mm-hmm. things. And then there's there's others, and and honestly, the camp I'm in, let's uh, say the correct camp, yeah, 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 exactly. I didn't want to say that, but I was going to say that. Um, <laughs> yeah, is is do all the development as much as you possibly can in the cloud. Right, mm-hmm. and and there's a couple a couple reasons for that, and I, and I won't go out through everything, but really, mainly, you know, one debugging when when you're emulating everything locally and you're debugging, half the battle is deciding if the problem's in your code or if it's in the emulator, right? And so, so you know, do I have my Docker network set up properly? Which I can guarantee you, if you're Eric Johnson, you will not have your Docker network set up right. And and uh, <laughs> and uh, and and because so, that's not that's not my you know bag of tricks. That's not what I'm great at. So um, I, I really struggle there. So so by pushing everything out to the cloud and testing as much as you can in the cloud, you're going to have the real services. You're going to have the real securities. Uh, see, see, when we test locally, we're using our local credentials, which most of us probably have admin credentials to the account we're developing with. Maybe not, but I'm going to say most of us do. And so you know, th- that's where the works on my desk is great. But when we push it out and then the actual roles kick in place, Sometimes we run into security issues, you know, where we're locked out. So, so those are just a couple of things. Um, but, but I think there's going back to your question. I think that's where some of these rough edges are. Is is when I'm locally debugging how to, you know how to and, and of course in SAM we have the ability to attach to debugger in VS Code. I, I think the rough edges that that we're seeing on this is is in this development idea. And you know, SAM you can connect to the local debugger and you can walk through that. Um, and in by you know, it's it's sometimes it's it's a hit or miss on it. You know, I'll be real honest. That's something that that we're working on, and sometimes it's, there's things out of our control, right? Maybe it's a VS Code plugin. Maybe you know. So, so these are things that that I believe that that, that as as we're going forward, it's going to get better and better. Uh, but yeah, I'd say that's that's where the rough edges can be. Yeah, I think I think I see the same as well on our projects. You know, we're using standard tooling ninety percent of the time, but there are a few things that we we've sort of made to solve some of those sharp edges and you know we try to open source them when we get the time but for instance we have a project at the minutes and they've they've really gone down that ethos of you know we develop on the cloud which means every developer has their own stack the IAM role is actually specifically the execution role which is helpful and having uh having that mindset has meant when it got to like you know trying to improve the CICD process they already had the ability to have a whole microservice architecture that's specific to one sort of uh, indicator of what stack it is. Uh, they didn't actually use stages. They actually changed the service name and made sure all resources had that in. But that ability meant that when they got to CICD, their CICD process actually deploys all the microservices to a stack that's specific to their pull request number and generates a subdomain with that pull request number. So that when they're doing <laughs> awesome. development, they get a preview environment, which they can send to the product team. And they run all their integration tests across a full stack, which is unthinkable in normal development. But for these guys, it took two days to get that working and oh the builds run in six minutes, which is crazy. 
I'd love to see some some blogging on that, Ben Ellerby. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. We actually we released an initial article last weekend called uh, well, last week I pretend it wasn't the weekend uh, called Serverless Flow, which is um, a bit uh, like GitHub Flow. Yes, but yeah, yes. that's yeah. the branching strategy. In the next few weeks, we're going to release how we get that CI/CD process to be quick, and also for the integration tests, how we're writing those, um, which hopefully will be another open source release. Yeah, you know, I think, and, and, and we're talking rough edges, and I wouldn't say this is a serverless rough edge, you know, operational rough edges. You know, what are the right way of testing, you know, you know, the, you know, and this has been, you know, since the day, since the first piece of code went down is, is how do we test it? How do we, what's our branching strategy? What's our, you know, those kinds of things. So anytime you see expertise in that, I, I, I love to see that. I talk about CICD quite a bit. Uh, in 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 and the need for it. and I love hearing that that's something they're building in right from the beginning. So yeah, excited to see that stuff. Yeah, and I think we're seeing, and also you know there are companies moving into that serverless CI/CD space. Uh, so I think that's an area that's going to improve either open source or companies or you know improvements in SAM or other parts of AWS. Um, the developer experience. I really do think we need to work on the actual cloud, but to get everyone to that point, we need to improve the latency and the accessibility of debugging in those environments. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, uh, and you know, there are some, I've seen some companies working with attaching to Lambda in the cloud as well. Uh, I believe Thundra mm. is working on that. They uh, do. Yeah. 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 So, so that's some really interesting ideas, uh, you know, and, and so, yeah, and, and but I want to go back to this this idea, and, and and you can say, "Hey, I don't want to talk about that." It's fine, but <clears throat> something that you said that that I think I want to I want to just harp on for a minute is the developers had their own development account, right? Yeah, and the, and and one of the, one of the large issues I see, and, and and this is another place where serverless makes sense on this, because if if I were building database accounts and or, or database, you know, uh, let's let's say that again, we use databases in serverless, but let's say I'm I'm building a lot of infrastructure, I'm spinning up a lot of EC2 instances, I'm spinning up RDS instances, all to host the same code. It doesn't make sense to spread that across. That's that's a cost factor. But if I'm doing serverless, and it doesn't matter if I invoke it in in you know Sally's account or Bob's account or or Ben's or Eric's, it's it's the same invocation. In fact, those are spread. You know, the free tier becomes more advantageous when your separate accounts are in an organization. Each one has a free tier, right? the 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 argument for not having developer accounts pretty much goes out the window. And, you know, I've seen, <laughs> I have seen development uh, groups, you know, groups of hundreds of developers where they all develop in the same account and every function has, you know, let's say user, we, we have a Lambda function called user uh, editor. So it's, it's user editor dash Eric DJ dash V1. Yeah. <laughs> It's just like, what? You know, and so then you're having to pull all, yeah, it becomes just nightmarish, you know? So, uh, and, and again, that's not necessarily a serverless thing. That's just, a, that's just an architecture thing, right? And so serverless really gives this ability to say, you know what, just just do it in your account. Then there's no colliding, there's no conflict, and, and just you move fast. I definitely agree with that. And there's a risk mitigation side to it. Um, if I jump back to yeah. that CICD thing I mentioned, so, you know, yeah. You, you make a change, automatically deploys a whole stack, subdomains, runs integration tests. It's powerful for me, you know, it sounds, you know, it sounds good, it sounds like you've got good quality, it sounds like good feedback to the product owners. But on a with a client recently, they we focus a lot on the training and the upskilling, so they don't actually need to work with us for very long. But they had one uh, sort of technical director, hadn't coded in a long time, 
who wanted to come and do a future. Like he, he missed coding. He also wanted to see, you know, what it was like <laughs> actually uh, on the projects. Um, sure. I was like, yeah, sounds great. But I said, like, you know, yeah, it's going to, I need to, you know, can you commit a week and we'll pair program for half a day and you're coding? He was like, no, there's no way I can do that. So I was like, okay. You know, there's quite a lot to teach. There's quite a lot to learn. We're training your team and that's taking time, but you just want to have a quick look. He's like, yeah, I want to have a quick look. So what we ended up doing was on his laptop, he went to the GitHub repo. We edited a function in his GitHub editor, pressed save, opened the pull request. That triggered the CI/CD process, yeah. and he could look at his feature on a domain name. So Holy he managed cow. to develop a feature without actually really knowing any of the tooling that was in place because he just edited the source code of a function. So he changed wow. the user. He added another condition to an if statement. But that whole CI/CD process means that he doesn't have to learn everything. So it's kind of productizing your CI/CD. I think is key to making the adoption side easy because now he's dipped his toe in the water. He's probably going to come back and want to learn how everything actually is working. But he can well, have impact from day one. That's right, and you, and and you've now got buy-in from from that leadership. You know, uh, that's that's a really great story. Now, Ben, I will tell you that I have added features to applications without having any idea what I'm doing. So, <laughs> I mean, it's an impressive story, but I'm just saying I can do that too. Just kidding. But. Uh, yeah, no, no. With that, with that simple move, you've got you've got buy-in from from above as well. I mean, as developers, we're huge influencers, but we need that buy-in. So that's cool. Yeah, definitely. And uh, just before we finish off, jumping back to the point you mentioned, some people are connecting to the actual uh, Lambda instance. If you do want to uh, test out something a little bit uh, cutting edge on SLS Dev Tools, there's a pull request called Relay, and what that does is. You know, the logs at the minute are coming through CloudWatch. So maybe there's a six, seven second delay. Relay actually establishes a WebSocket connection to the Lambda function, provides a custom runtime for any version of Node that overrides console log and sends those logs back to SLS DevTools before the Lambda function even stops executing. So uh, if you want to play around with a very, very, very beta version of SLS DevTools, you're more than welcome. I do that. Yeah. You know what? Uh, it seems vaguely, or you, you and I bounced on that just a little while back and I remember yeah, you exactly. doing that. So yeah, I will check that out. So, so in a sense, and, and let me, let me make it simple for me and anybody else who needs the, in a sense, I'm getting logs back even before the hit cloud watch. Yeah. Not exactly. in a sense, before that's the, actually what's happening. The function, <laughs> before the function returns. Right. Right. That's slipping. That's really cool. Is, yeah. Yeah. It's fun. It's not, fully productionized yet, but it's a step in the right direction. I don't know if SLS DevTools is going to do it fully, but I think that's something, if it's in SAM, if it's in serverless framework, if it's some other third party, I think that reducing that latency to get the feedback back down is one thing. And then, yeah, the other side is how do we get code changes back up even faster? Right. Because then it's not, it doesn't become a question because you don't even notice it's not local. Right, right, and and th- and that's that's the the ticket right there. I mean, if if you can have a, a development environment that is as fast as local but isn't local, uh, that's you know that's great. And I, you know, I get a lot of folks push back and oh no, no, you just got to have it all locally. But the the reality is, you know, most developers now have some sort of internet connection. Uh, these are pretty low latency. We're just pushing small code changes, and so. Uh, I just don't, I don't see a reason to do that. Uh, even on airplanes, you get, you know, uh, I wouldn't know. I haven't been on an airplane in a year, but you, you, you wouldn't, you know, you have internet, uh, you know, unless I'm doing it in a, in a, you know, somewhere in the Arctic circle, I should be able to do that on the cloud. No, I think it's one of those things we'll look back on and think it was, 
like before version control. We'll think, I can't yeah. believe we used to do that. I think when it comes to oh. all that local emulation, it'll be, I can't believe we used to do that. I just log into AWS and type things and the, the customers get affected and they get the features. There's there going to be go. a jump. But yeah, yeah. it's a, a bit of a way off, I think. Well, we'll get there though. We'll get there. Yeah, very cool. So I heard... Yeah. I heard that you guys are changing the name of SLS DevTools to same DevTools. Ah, well, it's, it's off cloud formation. So it supports a lot of the features and functionalities. Okay. All right. So yeah, All right. It works with Sam. Works with Sam. It does work with Sam. That's right. That's the call I'm making. But, you know, if, I was if, being Sam, if Sam wants to acquire it, you know, we can have a conversation. <laughs> Let me see what I got in my wallet right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just don't notice that it's already open source and you'll be fine. There you go. There you go. Yeah, exactly. So. Nice. Anything else you want to cover? Uh, you know, if we have time, I would love to talk about direct integrations for a sec. So yeah, we've been talking a lot about the developer experience and, you know, the infrastructure's code side, but we've not talked much about how the actual underlying services have changed. You know, we had a big reinvent last year where, you know, provision concurrency has changed the way we're working. EventBridge, I've been using a lot on projects. It's been getting better, but also it really changes how we build and it's been very effective. Uh, yeah. There's oh, been yeah. a Another such sort of announcement, which I think ties in a bit to EventBridge, is this concept of direct integration. Could you, I know that came out last week, I think it was announced. Could you talk a bit about what that's looking like? Yeah, so this is an API gateway announcement. And what we've done is we've created direct uh, service integrations from HTTP API to 5.4 now uh, services on AWS. And the idea there, so, so the services are EventBridge, like you just mentioned, SQS, Kinesis, uh, I'm going to miss some step functions, and then app config. And so the idea is, and, and Ben, you've, you've been in the service long enough, you, you've, you've probably done this or, or know people who've done it, you know me, so you know, um, you know we, t- we talk about the idea of a, a common pattern in serverless is, let's say for our backend, is we have an API gateway, we have a Lambda function, and then we may have DynamoDB on the backside or some type of database, or we might pump it into you know a, a step function or something like that. And really, a lot of times, the Lambda function is just a transport layer. It's not applying any business logic. It's not doing anything spectacular. It's just simply transporting the data from the API gateway to the targeted service. So what we've done here is we've, we've, we've given the ability – well, let me finish that part of the story. So, so on REST API, you can actually directly integrate with services, but it requires transformation templates. It requires some knowledge of, of Apache's velocity templating language. I know that's mm-hmm. probably your favorite one, Ben. I know it, it is most people. Um, yeah, and so it, it, there, there's obviously some knowledge required there. So what we did with HTTP API is we said, you know what? We can we can directly integrate those without even having to know about uh, VTL or anything like that. So so let's let's go to your EventBridge example. I know that EventBridge I need to have a detail right. So it's got to have some information I'm passing in, right? So what I can do is I can I can build this integration. I can I can build an HTTP API endpoint and I can build uh, an integration directly to EventBridge and then I can tell HTTP API where in the request. I get the body. So here, here's where you get the details coming in the request, pass it to EventBridge. And that's the same with a lot of these other services. In fact, SQS, uh, for a simple queue service, you can go both ways. You can actually send messages in and grab messages off. So in a sense, you could build, if you have a you have disparate apps across you know, multiple clouds, multiple data centers, you could build a queuing service 
based on SQS through a REST API. Uh, and, and, and with that, you can add and you can all the HTTP API, you know, services or, you know, features like, you know, you could throttle as you need. You can, mm-hmm. uh, and the, the big one, obviously, uh, authorization. So JWT authorization. So what yes. you've got, yeah. So what you've got here is, is, you know, I can build a low, Code or, or really, I, you know, a lot of my service logic or, or my my business logic is in a Kinesis or it's in a, a Step Functions or it's in something else. I can build applications with little to no code at all. And so that's supporting EventBridge. It is supporting EventBridge. Yeah. So with EventBridge, we have the send message um, uh, action. So each of the different ones have different actions. And so for EventBridge, for right now, we just have to send message. Uh, and so you can, so I can wrap uh, authorization around EventBridge, and and so you can set it up where people can just start pumping events into EventBridge. Same which with is, Kinesis, which is one of the big use cases that you know we've often had a lambda for, and it's been a bit annoying. Is that exactly. you have a third party webhook, you know, Stripe payment success, whatever. You right. want that to you know be validated that you know they're allowed to tell you that, but also, yeah, your other microservices can respond to that. So yeah, I think for EventBridge it's big, and for the other services, of course, it's it's going to change how we build and probably reduce that's our right. bills as well. And you that's mentioned right. that's API Gateway HTTP, right? So not API yeah. Gateway REST. Right, yeah, it's the HTTP API uh, endpoints. So that's, uh, and that's, and that's with that, you've got, it's lower cost, it's yeah. it's faster, uh, and it's and it's easier. <laughs> so I just, in the show we talked about, we referred to it a couple of times, I just did a show yesterday, uh, and it talks about how do you build that. One of the easiest ways to build it is just go into the console, Build out what you want to kind of see, and then you can export the open API, and that'll teach you how to do it in SAM. And now it becomes a reusable template that you can do. And I show all that uh, in the episode. So, and I think that export open API feature of API Gateway is often overlooked. We actually have that CI/CD process I mentioned earlier. Every yeah. time that build runs, it uses the AWS CLI to grab a Postman collection from API Gateway and then publish it as a Swagger. So you know. We're continuously updating the API docs as the builds go through, which saves time, but also, you know, we always forget to do those sort of things. So, yeah, uh, I think that's I'm a, absolutely, a I, I'm sorry I interrupted you. I, I have never thought, excuse me, I have never thought that I was dumbfounded when you just said that. That's a brilliant idea. If, if you document properly in your APIs, uh, especially with the REST API, um, or, or if you just need, you know, structure like that, being able to, that's been that, Ben, you're smart. Hire, hire him. He's smart. I mean, he works with somebody, but you know, hire his consultation. That's that's in all you know. All kidding aside, that's that's really a brilliant idea of of using the tools and not reinventing the wheels. How many times would you go back and update all your structures in Postman manually when you yeah. can just you know grab that out? That's a very very smart thing. Yeah, it's we, we we're starting to go with continuous delivery, continuous testing, continuous documentation but without actually any manual processes. I think that's the key to a good pipeline. That That is. And, and for, for those, you know, at least how we define it at AWS, continuous delivery means no manual inter- interruption. So there's no manual approval uh, versus continuous deployment, which would stop and wait for somebody to click a button. So that and that's the goal. That's, that's you know, that's the golden spot right there is, is look, I push very small chunks of code all day long. <clears throat> Effective companies are pushing 5, 10, 20 times a day, right? And they've got, and if you have the test coverage and you have the automation in place, you can move so fast. Yeah. And I think that's where we want to get to and serverless is a good step towards that. 
Well, I think that brings us to a nice conclusion. Well, yeah, thanks so much for joining, Eric. And for anyone who's interested, Eric's sessions with Sam are really worth watching. And they're coming out every week, Eric? Yeah, every Thursday. And you can catch past episodes on our uh, YouTube AWS serverless channel. And that's shared between all the developer advocates, right? So we can get content from James Bezik, from others. That's right. Mohib, Julian, Ben, Chris, Rob, the whole team. Nice. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Eric. And yeah, have a great day. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, that brings us to the end of our conversation with Eric. And Eric, thank you so much for your time. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review in the podcasting app of your choice. If you'd like to hear more from Service Transformation, please subscribe to our newsletter. This podcast and the Service Transformation newsletter are sponsored by Theodo, a software development agency based in London, helping people build state-of-the-art serverless architectures.